Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Caring Veterans podcast on Meaningful Connection. My name is Sherry Kerr and I'm joined today by Cathy Asante, who is a legal officer specialising in human rights-based approaches with the Scottish Human Rights Commission. So, hi, Cathy. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So would you like to just give a bit of background about what the SHRC is for anyone that doesn't know? Absolutely, yes. So we are Scotland's National Human Rights Institution. So we were set up by um, an act of the Scottish Parliament and we have a mandate to protect and promote human rights in Scotland. Um, And particularly that includes promoting good practice in relation to human rights. And that's where our human rights based approach comes into play. Okay, great. So what we're talking about today is kind of thinking about human rights considerations, particularly with regard to people who live in care homes, around things like visiting, being connected to families and friends, involvement in the community and so on. Um, Obviously, that's a huge subject and the pandemic generated big dilemmas around how people's rights could be balanced. What sorts of things should we be thinking about here in terms of a human rights based approach? Um, I think it's a really interesting topic to consider human rights um, in in practice. Um, it's actually something that the the Commission had looked at back when we first started. We did a project around the rights of older people in health and social care settings called Care About Rights, and that was all about using human rights to make day-to-day decisions to determine um, dilemmas that would come up in in uh, social care settings, in, in care homes, for example, um, and how you could actually use human rights to figure out the, the best way forward that everybody would, would understand that respected people's human rights. Um, so it is a big topic and there are many human rights that come into play in care home settings. Um, everything from the the right to life to um, the right to liberty, because obviously many people are actually um, not free to leave a care home setting. So there are a lot of human rights considerations, but visiting is one where um, it particularly comes into focus. And I think the pandemic really brought the actual human rights considerations right to the fore. Um, So the, the, the most relevant human right in that circumstance would be the right to a private and family life, which we have from the the European Convention. Um, And that's been embedded in law for for many, many years. It's a broad um, ranging right. It it fundamentally is about dignity and autonomy of the individual. Um, So it includes everything from um, a right to participate in decision making about your own life and choice and control to um, the more specific things like protecting your family life, which includes connection with family members, as in the case of visiting. Um, And there's a little bit to unpack here because that's one of the rights in the European Convention that's not what we call absolute, which is to say that it can sometimes be restricted where it's necessary. Um, And there's the human rights framework provides the the tools to be able to assess what is necessary and what is not and what is therefore justified. Um, So the the key point about human rights based approach is that you would look to those principles provided by the human rights framework to determine whether restrictions on your right to private and family life restrictions on visiting with your relatives are in fact justified um so i think we can see from the pandemic that there are examples where that would have been properly applied and perhaps examples where that was not so well applied yeah, and certainly I think what we've kind of been finding is that restrictions weren't always being applied consistently across the care home sector, you know, and um, and yeah, there was a lot of kind of issues around that consistency and that maybe kind of proportionality and equality and how things were being applied. So when you're talking about using those principles, can you 
tell me a bit more about that, about the principles that we can use? Sure. So um, I think there's two sets of principles I'd just like to, to try and cover. Um, and the first of those is really the principles, the fundamental principles of a human rights based approach. And there are different ways of, of breaking that down. Um, purpose of it is to make sure that human rights is embedded in day to day policy and decision making. So what we use at the Commission um, and what we advocate for other people to use as a tool is the panel principles. Um, and that um, I'll just explain what those are in brief. Um, the first principle is about participation, which recognises that everybody has the right to participate in decisions that affect their human rights. Um, the A is for accountability, which uh, ensures that you have to have a focus on whether human rights are being realised in practice and there has to be um, monitoring of that and then redress if that's not happening. There has to be a route to actually remedy issues if human rights are not uh, going down the right path. Um, the N is for non-discrimination and empowerment um, and that's quite a broad principle um, beyond what we might usually think of in terms of equality under the Equality Act. Really what this is looking at is always identifying who might be furthest away from realising their human rights and facing barriers to doing so and then seeking to identify what those barriers are and remove them in practice. Um, the E is for empowerment, which is an understanding that in order for people's human rights to be effective, they have to understand what they are. They have to be equipped to be able to have conversations about them and to be able to assert them when they need to. And then the L, last of all, is for me the underpinning principle of a human rights based approach, which is legality, which is that all of this fundamentally is underpinned by human rights standards standards that have been set out, articulated by the human rights framework at the United Nations, at the European Court, and all of that is actually, it gives us the tools to be able to use human rights on a day-to-day -day basis so that we get better decisions. The, the ultimate goal of using that approach is that we remedy human rights or we consider them right up front rather than leaving things to go wrong and them having to go to courts, inquiries, etc. So those are essentially principles that you can use if you have them at the forefront of your mind to really guide your your work to make sure that you've always got that human rights lens and you're conscious of the implications of what you're doing for human rights and it's really just a, a guide to sort of always keep you clear and, and on the right path um so just to sort of illustrate that in the context specifically of visiting um, I think one of the trickiest principles to consider is is the legality principle and um, because that means that there does need to be some awareness of, of the, the human rights tools that you're using to, to actually build into your decision making uh, but we have to understand that, that not everybody's you know you don't need to have a, a law degree in order to be able to do that. But what you can do is you can look to the European Convention, for example, for core principles that allow you to navigate your way through situations. So when we're talking about something like the right to private and family life, the, um, the core questions to have in mind would be, um, is this a right that can be restricted? And, and, and is, as I've said, but you have to be able to identify then what's the purpose of the restriction um, and it has to be a name that's legitimate um, in the context of the pandemic. Protection of health, protection of life, very much recognised legitimate aims. So there is an understanding that there may be justified restrictions on that right. Um, but there are then questions that, that need to be asked to figure out how far you can go in order to, to restrict the right without going any further than necessary. So the general idea that is 
broken down in law is don't use a sledgehammer to crack a nut. So you would ask yourself, what are we trying to, eat, to achieve here? What are the possible ways that we could achieve that? Which of these is the least restrictive of the uh, fundamental right um, of right of private and family life? So how can we protect people's right to uh, private and family life whilst also ensuring the protection of life or the protection of health as well? Um, and so you might have restrictions that are absolutely necessary in the first instance, but as the situation evolves, might cease to become necessary. Um, that would suggest that that's not that they um, are no longer a proportionate solution and might start to actually be a, too much of an infringement on people's rights. Um, or you might have uh, blanket policies that are being applied for you know, large swathes of people as opposed to tailored to the individual circumstances. Um, and that would be a suggestion that that's not a proportionate solution as well. So it gives you a way of sort of thinking through the possible options and having a think about which ones uphold people's human rights best of all. Um, and when this was applied in that, that Care About Rights project that I mentioned that we carried out before, people who worked in care homes um, and uh, various social care settings found it a really useful way to think about their decisions because there was generally a sense of what was right or what was wrong or you know what was possible and what wasn't possible but putting a rationale around that that they were able to articulate that people who were on the other end of it were able to understand that everyone was able to have a discussion around um, that could often be quite difficult. So bringing in that thinking through the human rights questions was actually a way to frame a conversation and to ensure uh, decision making that everyone was happier with and, and best upheld people's human rights. Yeah, absolutely. So just about having that framework, that isn't it that people can use to kind of look at that. Um, I suppose I'm kind of thinking about people in care homes in particular and how that's a group of people who generally have particular needs and barriers to asserting their rights. For instance, you know, a really high proportion of people who live in older people's care homes have dementia, for instance. So I suppose, you know, using the panel principles is a useful way of kind of looking at that, isn't it? Because you're kind of thinking about what barriers there might be to participation, um, you know, how are people going to be being empowered to assert their rights, all that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's a really important dynamic because one of the 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 benefits of thinking about things from a human rights perspective is it does ensure protection of those who are most vulnerable to infringements of their human rights and it also aims to address power imbalances so um throughout human rights law there's always a recognition that the particularly if you're in a, a closed setting or a partially closed setting or the less autonomy you have over your day-to-day -day life the more important it is to focus on your human rights because you may be less, less able to uphold them or anything that happens to you may be more hidden from view so there is a, 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 um, a sort of focus that a, a necessary focus that is driven by by human rights law to actually pay attention um, to people's human rights in those circumstances um, and then alongside that, there are actually aspects of the human rights framework that are about making sure people um, are given the support that they need to be able to participate in conversations, particularly where they may have um, impairments of their of their capacity or, or decision making ability. Um, so while I've mentioned the European Convention so far, there's actually a broader human rights framework at play, particularly at the um, United Nations level where we have the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities 
And that places a much stronger focus on providing support for people to participate in decisions on the same basis as people who would not require any support to do so. Um, and that's really at the core of that convention is, is ensuring that people have choice and control in their lives. Um, so there's a, a right to um, support for decision making, for example, that's actually been articulated by, by the UN under that convention, saying that some people may require support for decision making and that must be provided. That is a right. It's not just a, a nice to do or it might be conven more convenient to make decisions on behalf of people. But actually, from a human rights perspective, people are entitled to make decisions for themselves and therefore have to be provided with, with support to do so. So I think looking at that, the full range of, of human rights helps to put a different complexion on perhaps um, service driven considerations or, you know, other ways that you might um, have approached the situation without thinking about that. Right. Yeah. OK, great. Um, so I suppose I'm also I'm kind of thinking about what you're saying there and about giving people extra support to participate when they need when that's what they're needing. So, you know, it's kind of going beyond kind of non-discrimination, isn't it? And just kind of actually thinking about how we can really empower people, you know, and have that, you know, have that have that equality to participate in the community all that sort of thing you know just to kind of be active citizens and have that kind of full that kind of full participation in day-to-day -day life and sort of community participation that you know we we would all expect to be able to do yeah i think um it's it's important to think of it beyond just the sort of care home setting as well and i think your your, your work is definitely looking at that i think that's a really um Val valuable extension to the to the thinking about about visiting is also connection with community because I, again from that um disability convention perspective the standard that we're operating to is that everybody has the right to participate in the community on the same basis and just because you're in a care home that doesn't change and um, just because you're in any other kind, kind of health or social care setting that doesn't change what it may require is more support to do so and more attention and focus in order to enable that um, but I think that shifting the perspective that we all actually should have the same rights of participation um, in, in daily life um, and the, the same sort of quality of life and, and, and ability to, to go out and enjoy the world is actually not it's not necessarily the way things have always been approached so I think it does shift the conversation and it, and it, it places that focus on more sort of proactive effort you know it's often I think human rights are thought about in terms of preventing intrusions on your life or, or violations but actually it's important to think about what you might proactively need to do in order to ensure people can enjoy their rights as well that is fundamentally part of the human rights framework too. Yeah, so about those more kind of positive duties that there maybe are on services to exactly on on all of us to to support yeah, to support those things. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think what we're seeing now is a lot of a lot of that is kind kind of rebuilding since the pandemic. When mm -hmm. um, you know, if we're talking about community participation, for instance, which obviously was something that just completely wasn't happening really at all during the pandemic, or certainly wasn't happening in any way that you know that it had been previously. So I think what we really seeing now is kind of re really trying to rebuild that and get those um get those connections up and running again yeah and sometimes and that's not you know that's not always been easy for people to do and I think it's important to say that there is a realism about the human rights framework as well I mean it's understood that you know things 
did change during the pandemic. Lots of things were pulled back and that was necessary for, for a time. Um, and it, you can't necessarily just say that it will come back instantly or that it will come back in in exactly the way that we might want it to, but the obligations of the human rights framework are to be thinking about it explicitly and to be trying to move forward um, as quickly as you can in order to make people make sure that people can enjoy their rights as much as possible. It's not perfection, it's consistent effort. So I think that can be quite a supportive um, way to use human rights as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if there was one message, Cathy, that you would like people to kind of take home from listening to this, what, what would that be? What, what would be a key message, do you think? Um, so I think there were three, probably three aspects that came out from the experience of the pandemic. And I think that these are probably the ones that need to be focused on to ensure that human rights is embedded in a day-to-day uh, -day sense. And those are the empowerment of rights holders to be able to know and assert their rights, the ability of those who are making decisions, such as care home managers, to be able to use that human rights thinking, and lastly, the accountability for that decision making. So those are the the the, the triple aspects that that need proper energy and uh, attention to make sure that people actually do know and understand their rights in a, in a, in a meaningful way um, and you know those who are charged with making decisions about this they, they need to be supported to do so so they also need to build that understanding and to have the tools and resources in order to help them make good decisions and then ultimately we do need um, you know inspectorates, regulators, various systems of monitoring to, to have that built into their accountability systems so that there's there's a way of checking and remedying if it's not happening. So empowerment, ability, accountability. Those are my, that's my key message. Excellent, thank you. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you think would be relevant? Anything else that you would like to particularly mention? Um, well, it's an interesting time for human rights at the moment. So I should mention the context of um, Human Rights Incorporation, um, which is, the uh, building in of more human rights into the legal framework of Scotland. So the Scottish Government has recently launched its consultation for a human rights bill, which is due to incorporate four United Nations treaties um, into Scots law, and that includes the Disability Convention that I mentioned. So there are a whole range of rights there that are broader than the rights that we've typically worked with or conceived of through the, the Human Rights Act. Um, and a lot of them do include um, more proactive duties, as, as we were discussing, like participation in the community, there's a right to health, there's a right to housing. Um, so those things are all going to be built into law so that there are going to be duties and requirements to, to think about them, to, to uh, ensure that they're upheld and systems of accountability for um, for them that are not currently there in, in law or policy. So um, I think that will be really helpful because it will provide uh, a framework for all of this to sit within. At the moment, um, many of those rights, there's not sufficient drivers really for people to pay that much attention to them. It's... it's um, because they're not going to be held accountable. You know, it's it feels, I think, sometimes slightly optional, but it's go going to move from a good to do to a must consider. So I think that's um, helpful to have in mind when we're thinking about human rights 
in any context at the moment is that anybody that's doing that is kind of getting ahead of the game <laughs> to think about what human rights duties are coming, what those human rights mean in practice, to start kind of thinking about worked examples. Um, you know, it's it's to the point again is that it would be built into thinking rather than resorting to accountability mechanisms. So um it brings a really useful focus to human rights in Scotland at the moment that everybody's starting to sort of think more actively about how it applies to their field. Great, right, definitely. So if people want to find out more about these issues, kind of leading on from that, um, where would you recommend them to look? Is there anywhere that you particularly direct people to? So um, the Scottish Government's consultation is open at the moment, so I think that that paper itself is is um, worth reading. And um, we have also um, published a paper giving the Commission's view on what the the key features of uh, incorporation should look like, um, and that gives a lot of uh, explanation as to what it means, um, and also uh, our view about what the strongest form of human rights protection would be. And that's available on our website. So probably those are some good starting points. And there'll be okay. a lot more coming in the next few months. Great. And you mentioned the Care About Rights um, resource earlier as well. Is that something that people can access or is that is that available? So the programme is still available on our website under the, the training materials um, and it's a um, an online resource that provides um, information about human rights, application to health and social care settings, um, case studies, which are really core to, to helping people to understand it in practice. Even though it's, um, you know, quite a few years ago now, it's all actually very much still applicable. Um, there'll be, you know, slight changes, but actually the, the core concepts that people need to understand about human rights in those settings are, are all unpacked there. So um, I would still point people to that as a, a important resource. Okay, that's great. And we'll um, try and put links to the resources that you've mentioned there in the notes for the podcast as well, so we can direct people towards them. But that was a really interesting discussion. Thank you very much, Cathy. Thanks for having me.